This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey everyone, before we kick off today, I have to share some big news with you. My book is here. Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth and it's available now via the links in this week's episode description for pre-order. I've written this guide to hold your hand as you navigate preparing for birth. It has my knowledge of over a decade in midwifery to make sure that you are properly equipped with honest, reliable and evidence-based information about your body, baby and birth so that a positive and empowering journey that you deserve at this important time can be achieved. Click the link in the episode description to get your copy ordered now. Pre-orders are super important and your support in helping me on my mission to empower women means the world. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast. This week, I am joined by a truly inspiring woman, Sophie Martin, perhaps better known as the infertile midwife on social media. Sophie has let us in on her journey through infertility and pregnancy loss through her Instagram account and her brand new book, The Infertile Midwife in Search of Motherhood. Sophie shares such important insights into how society treats infertility and pregnancy loss. And one of the things that I find so incredible about Sophie is how she has continued to work as an NHS midwife and within her passion of welcoming new life into the world whilst navigating such a difficult personal journey. I am in awe of Sophie's strength and honored that she's joining me on the podcast on Baby Loss Awareness Week this year. So welcome, Sophie, and thank you for being an incredible human. <laughs> that was really kind. Thank you very much for having me. So you have, you know, anyone that's followed you, Sophie, or anyone that's already started delving into the book because it is out already, will know that, my goodness, you have been on more of a journey than any human being, you know, is, I think, really capable of dealing with through IVF, fertility treatment, all the investigations, pregnancy lost. How are you now? Yeah, I mean, what a question. Uh, well, it's still ongoing. You know, we're still trying to take home another baby. So um, it is tough, but definitely much easier this time around now that I have got my son at home because he just brings so much joy to my life. So before we had him, obviously, just going through all of that treatment, it just felt very, very sad. But this, obviously, he makes me smile every day. Oh, and remind me, how old is he? Just turned two. Just turned. I knew that we had babies quite close in age oh it's I mean it's wild isn't it it's absolutely wild the best fun the most crazy roller coaster <laughs> Sophie with your journey to bringing your son your sons because this isn't you know this has been a really long journey for you what have been some of the the hardest parts and I know you've documented it so beautifully but for those who are new to finding you or your journey what have been the toughest moments for you personally 
think um, that first year that we were trying when I knew that something wasn't right, but we had to wait, you know, your GP won't see you and you have to wait. And so that I felt particularly hard because I knew that it wasn't going to work. And so we were just kind of waiting and then you're not in treatment and you're not sure what treatment is going to be offered to you. And and that that felt quite difficult. Um, I think after obviously my twins died, that was just horrendous. I, I would never wish that experience on anyone. I, I just don't even know how I got through it really. Um, and then another really hard bit was COVID because COVID closed down all the IVF clinics. And so literally we were, we'd started treatment and then they cancelled all of our cycles. So, and you're just sat in limbo thinking, when are the clinics going to open again? Um, and I felt like a lot of pressure that every month that went by was a month that we, you know, my eggs were getting worse. So that was also particularly challenging. And then pregnancy after loss was probably the worst thing that I've ever experienced. So in summary, everything was hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, different different roller coasters of hardness, I suppose. And I guess each each new challenge brought you new emotional and physical challenges. Because I think one of the things that, you know, for, for people that perhaps haven't gone through fertility treatment or haven't been present with someone that has, that's a massive physical turmoil to your body, isn't it? I don't think we quite realise what our bodies go through or what a woman's body does does have to sort of you know entail when it comes to fertility treatment I think I am kind of a bit used to it so I've done 11 rounds of IVF now and so it's nothing to me but also I am a poor responder in air quotes which means that my body doesn't really respond very well to IVF so I've had minimal side effects because my body isn't really playing ball anyway whereas other women will have like huge ovaries which are like the side you know with a bunch of grape size follicles and things like that whereas I have not had any of that so I haven't really had too much physical discomfort really yeah. because my body isn't isn't quite doing what it should anyway so I've been quite fortunate in that respect but it can be incredibly grueling saying that though I'm not currently in a cycle and I do feel like a different person now, but I think I'm just so used to cycling that it's become part of my psyche yeah yeah and then I guess that emotional strain every time of well I should be feeling this you know why am I not feeling this when someone else is like I I can't even imagine Sophie you know the the daily and obviously monthly challenges that you have you have been going through what has kept you going you know there, there must have been there must be some hope that you've constantly always had how have you how have you held that up I think I was just so desperate to be a mum that that was what kept me going it didn't really feel like an option to stop um, and I wanted to feel like I'd exhausted all of my options before like I moved on to different routes of parenthood so once we were on that roller coaster of IVF we just I just felt like we just had to keep going um, and even now I don't feel like our family is complete and so I have to keep going and there will be an end point eventually you know you can't just keep going for all eternity but at the moment I feel like it's still worth going down this route so it's just and especially now I have Percy, my son, like he is so wonderful. And I just think, gosh, I would love to do that again because <laughs> he's just such a joy. And I would like, I would love to have another him. Obviously I know it wouldn't be him, but you know, like that experience, yeah. he's just so amazing. Like, of course I would want to do that again. Yeah. And to see him as a big brother, you know, like that, that kind of setup as well, which, which is obviously always that, 
you know, that what if, I suppose, or that kind of goal, I think, when you had one and, and then you're looking to have another. And Sophie, you're married, aren't you? So yeah. does you and your husband, have you always been really well aligned in your vision through your creating your family and your fertility struggles? Or has there sometimes been a like, should we, you know, should we do this? Have you had to have some difficult conversations at all? So we have both always really always since the beginning wanted a family um, and so that was always like right okay well this is just how we're gonna have to make our family so we were always very much on the same page with that um, and in the beginning we did have like difficult conversations of okay like where do our boundaries lie like would we consider using donor conception would we consider you know adopting like we ha- we talked about everything um, and yeah we were always very my husband has a very blended family anyway and so I think that gave us both some comfort that if we had to reach our family in in like a different way that it would be okay because James has got a really loving family so that definitely has been really helpful to have his kind of input into that and I mean my husband's not medical so he leaves that all to me Um, and he's very chilled anyway so he's very happy to kind of go along with how I'm feeling mostly and but no we've never had anything that we've massively disagreed on really Um, and we both have the same end goal which is we we want you know we want to expand our family so yeah we kind of very much align with that. And I think that must really help because I'm, I'm just thinking of perhaps other couples on a you know a mirroring journey to to you guys and that communication must be so important we know obviously communication relationships is vital but actually when you are navigating something so emotive and so you know deeply challenging it must be so important that you actually can have those open and honest conversations about where you're at where your head's at where you see this going but I can imagine that will be be a challenge at times if there is some differences so it's it's good to know that you guys have kind of I guess had each other's backs in this in the journey and, and kind of cheerleading each other in the same direction one of my burning questions to you Sophie is how on earth did you manage to keep working as a midwife going through what you've gone through personally because if I you know, even try and I could never put myself in your shoes with what you've been through. But if I if I try to imagine myself in your shoes, I know there is no way I could have continued to practice as a midwife. And I'm in absolute awe of the fact that you've managed to do that and the, the kind of strength that you have um, to keep following your passion professionally. How did you do it? How are you doing it? That is a very good question. Um, so in the beginning, when we were kind of just starting, it I I was a community midwife at the time, and I really, 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 really loved my job. Actually, I really loved being a community midwife. Um, and when I started IVF, it didn't really feel too. It didn't really feel too hard. It felt like okay. Well, I was just going to do IVF, and then I was going to have a baby, um, and fortunately I did get pregnant on my first round of IVF and so then I was pregnant and and so I I guess that bit kind of felt quite straightforward you know I I, I in my head I was like well I've done IVF and I'm just gonna have a baby it'll be fine and um, but I think when I had my twins that died obviously that was like so hard but because I was pregnant with twins I was planning it was I was due to kind of go into antenatal clinic because 
in London, in community, we walk everywhere. You don't really drive very much, so you just walk everywhere. And so it wasn't deemed like safe for me to carry on with identical twin pregnancy walking around the streets of London. So I was due to kind of come into antenatal clinic anyway, because obviously that's like less physically stress, you know, less physical stress. So I was due to come into clinic anyway. And the week, actually, literally the weekend that I, like I was going to, due to start clinic on the Monday, I went into labour and had the twins that weekend before so I didn't start in clinic Um, and then I had my time off after I had the twins and so then I just went straight back into antenatal clinic um, which was it was kind of like a double-edged sword because I definitely could not have gone to labour ward or anywhere like that but it was like a new team who I didn't really I mean I'd worked at the hospital quite a long time but at this point I'd probably been there like five or six years so I did know everyone, but obviously it wasn't my team that I had worked with, yeah. but everyone was lovely. But at the same time, like when I was in clinic, I was still seeing women who would have the same due date as I had. Mm. And so that was really tough because I should have been, you know, 32 weeks pregnant, but I wasn't. And so that was really tough. So once I'd got past the due date of my twins, I knew that wasn't going to happen again. Like that was yeah. done then. So I think those few months were really tough just getting through that and um, and then I did I, I would say like I developed like a massive fear of going to labour ward pretty much because it was just felt so especially because that was the labour ward that I'd given birth on so I really did not feel comfortable going to labour ward after that um, and so I kind of fell into antenatal care because it felt less intense and I couldn't really deal with the emotional intensity of labour ward given that everything else was going on too. Yeah, and that makes, you know, that makes complete sense. I think for kind of outsiders of the profession, when you are caring for someone during labour and birth, it takes a massive amount of you emotionally anyway. So to then have, you know, everything else that you had going on, it's just, you know, yeah, I feel like an impossible battle. We are in human beings, aren't we? We are not robots. But it's, it's really brilliant to hear, Sophie, that you've been able to be supported to kind of go down perhaps a slightly different avenue than you may have otherwise in midwifery, but to still be, be able to make a difference to women at, you know, such important times in their lives and still fulfill your passion of midwifery, which I think is incredible. And, and it's nice for you to have that other hat, I suppose, away from kind of everything that you're, you know, you deal with personally and, and the purpose of your book and your Instagram account, but also to be able to put that midwife hat on and go to work and support women in kind of a different setting is probably quite refreshing for you, is it? This week's episode is sponsored by a brand I love, Eye Candy. From its roots in London's fashion design and manufacturing scene, Eye Candy has uniquely been owned and directed in the UK by the same family for almost 90 years. Now proudly in its fourth generation, the Appels and their extended eye candy family remain completely focused on the best of British craftsmanship, designing and engineering innovative quality products. Eye Candy's talented British-based in-house team consistently push the boundaries of both product design and sustainability, creating a wide range of stylish, functional and quality pushchairs, highchairs and accessories. Everything has been thoughtfully crafted to fit seamlessly into every parent's lifestyle. 
from the iconic eye candy peach, which offers double functionality on a single footprint, to the eye candy my chair, an innovative multifunctional high chair that transforms into a beautifully crafted piece of furniture for your child. Eye candy future proofs the life cycle of every product so that it grows with each family. So no matter where your family is at right now, iCandy has got you covered. Check out their website, iCandyWorld.com or head to iCandyWorldUK on Instagram to find out more. I mean, it definitely it was all kind of very intermingled anyway. Um, but yeah, definitely going to work was really helpful because otherwise I would just be sat at home being miserable. So when after the twins had died, I very much was like, oh, I really need to get my old life back. Obviously, my old life was never coming back, but I, I wanted some sense of normality. So going to work was that. And and my and I, I and I, you probably feel the same, especially because, you know, your brand is Midwife Pit. But I feel very strongly that I'm Sophie the Midwife. And so what, who was I if I wasn't Sophie the Midwife? So I really didn't want to give that up. And then I felt like infertility literally obliterated my life. And I really didn't want to take that as well because I'd wanted to be a midwife for such a long time. And I really loved my job. And so if that was gone, then I really did have nothing left. Yeah, yeah. And it gave you that kind of routine and, and purpose. And I suppose until Percy was born, a reason to kind of get out of bed in the morning at, on times, I imagine, you know, you had to be somewhere, um, you had to kind of get dressed and, and, and brush your teeth and all that kind of stuff. Um, so Sophie, your book, we need to talk about this because when I heard that you were writing a book and your book is out at the point that everybody's listening to this episode, what made you decide to share, first of all, share your journey so publicly and so rawly on Instagram? And my goodness, thank, 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 thank you for doing so. Because for a lot of women, it's probably the only thing they've got to kind of relate and support. Um, and then to write your books, it's tell me about the why behind it. So when I first was going through infertility, I felt like I was the only person in the world that was infertile. Obviously I knew I wasn't, but I did not know anyone that was going through infertility. And, and I was feeling really, really down, like very, very helpless, very out of control. Like I felt like I, there was, it, like life was very much spinning of course. And I just remember one day just on my phone, on Instagram, and I just typed in um, infertility, I think. And all of a sudden I realized that there was just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people on Instagram who were talking about infertility um, and people would set up accounts. Mostly they were anonymous um, where they could share their IVF journey. And I was like, oh my goodness, people I can actually speak to who understand what's going on. Um, and it, it basically came from just a place of complete loneliness of, I don't have anyone to talk to. I really need someone to talk to. So that's why I started my account. And it was initially anonymous as well. Um, and it kind of grew from there because there is actually a huge community on Instagram of, of people who are talking about their IVF experiences um, and since then I've met loads of people in real life and it's been just incredible I would say that actually it kind of saved me throughout my journey having that support network there I would say that you know complete strangers on the internet understood what I was going through better than some of my friends and family and yeah. um, so it was yeah it was just such a lifeline um, and then it kind of made me think well you know it, I'm not I can't be the only one feeling like this and actually if I'm out there sharing what I'm going through there'll be other people who are going to really want to join in that conversation and so it kind of grew from there really 
And then the book came about, actually, it's been like a really long process. So I did, um, so on Baby Loss Awareness Week, I do events every year. um, And I did, I think it was the first year that I had done it. um, I did like a series of conversations and then um, a literary agent got in touch with me and said that she really liked my work and how I thought about writing a book. And then it kind of went from there really, but it has, but that was in 2020. So that was, it's been like a three year process to get to this point. Oh, and you know, it's just incredible because I love the fact that people will walk into a bookshop and feel represented in the, in the kind of pregnancy space, because at the moment, I mean, I'm certainly not aware of any any book, Sophie, that I could signpost a woman to who is going through this to feel feel like they've got someone else going through it with them. So I love the fact that there's going to be something that we can say, you know, actually, this might just be a useful read. This will allow you to feel like actually you're not the only one because, I mean, loneliness is is the one of the hardest emotions. And in a time like infertility or baby loss, loneliness is something that we really can conquer because we know, like you say, there are so many other people going through the same journey and there's nothing quite like someone who actually feels, has actually walked in your footsteps to kind of support you and guide you. So it is incredible the, the work that you are doing. Now, one of the things I really wanted to pick your brains about, um, Sophie, is, society and government and pregnancy loss care and fertility care we know we haven't got it right i don't think it's a secret that we are not doing a great job if you had a magic wand if only hey how would you like to see society and the government change what fertility and pregnancy loss care currently looks like well there recently has just been the independent pregnancy loss review which is amazing actually there's like tons and tons of recommendations and I think they'll all be brilliant and in terms of fertility there just needs to be um equality so different uh, localities provide different numbers of rounds of IVF like I was not eligible for any NHS funding and it's just really a big postcode lottery so 100% that needs to stop every every area in the UK needs to be providing equitable access to IVF for sure that would be number one thing on my list. How is that even acceptable that like you living in one area with the exact same circumstance as someone living in another area get different care like how in today's day and age is that even a a, like an acceptable thing to happen we would not accept that in any other walks of life would we that's insane Uh, well I mean I feel like in the NHS that happens not just in fertility and you know it literally happens all over the NHS but but it's terrible and and, it's just not okay yeah that's unjustifiable really isn't it that's yeah yeah. it's terrible so that'll be my first thing um and then in terms of pregnancy loss um I would have um and there are already like steps in place to help this but I would have um more type more paid time off for people going through um free baby loss um because you know there's been a big thing about miscarriage leave and you know like three paid days off but three paid days is is nothing isn't it um you know some people are still going through the actual physical process of losing their baby in three days so that would that would also I think make a massive difference um and I think, and this this is in the pregnancy loss review, but about the uh, birth certificates as well, if there are parents that want them, um, I think that's going to make a massive difference as well. That recognition that actually you've had a baby 
yeah because well, that's just just doesn't happen does it that's it's really interesting to hear your your point of view on that and and like you say hopefully we are in a time now of change and the fact that we've got people like you discussing it talking about it is immensely powerful because we know that change is generated from women it's generated from service users not from us with our midwife hats on but it, it's generated more from from women so it's yeah the more we can talk about it the more we can lift that lid and break the taboo it's only going to help that mission i wonder if we can then get some of your top kind of insider tips if you like sophie around parents that are currently listening to us that are on a journey of infertility or pregnancy loss what three messages or top tips would you share with them um so for people going through kind of infertility and I guess loss as well I would say um firstly just really nourish yourself um so just on a basic level just make sure you're eating and drinking really well um because if you're already we know that eating well is is just so good for you. So, it, you know, it's going to really nourish your body. It's going to help your eggs, which is obviously what you need if you're going through imbecility. Um, but also it can help it can help with your mood as well. So if you're kind of just eating loads of junk food, it's not going to do anything for your mood. And so just making sure that you are eating a healthy, balanced diet is just such a basic thing that you can do to help yourself. Um, I would also say... Um, you have to really protect yourself at this time. And so that means you need to set boundaries. So I... I've never gone to a baby shower. I will never go to a baby shower, I don't think. Um, and that is because I, I, I don't want to, essentially. I do not want to go to a baby shower. And so that's like a red light, you know, that's a line that I'm not going to cross for anyone. And so, and I don't feel sorry for that. I don't feel guilty for that because that's what I need to do to make sure that I can keep functioning, that I can protect myself. Um, and so whatever your boundaries are, that's what you need to do. So whether it's muting a group chat where everyone's sharing their baby photos, whether it's not going to your baby showers, whatever it is, don't feel apologetic about that. Like I feel like that's one thing. I don't feel any guilt about those things. If I don't want to go to an event because I know it's going to be full of people with bumps and whatever, I'm not going. And, and that's just self-preservation. And I don't feel any guilt about doing that. So I don't think anyone else should feel guilt about doing that either. So setting your boundaries, things that are going to protect you at this time. And then I guess my third tip would be finding your support network. So those people that are going to build you up, who are going to be there for you. So I, um, the fertility network is really good. So they do little regional groups where they'll do meetups and I started going to them pre-COVID so you could meet up face-to-face. -face. I don't actually know if they're face-to-face -face anymore. I know they did go online in COVID, but that was incredible because I met in real life other women who were going through the same thing as me and I'm really good friends with them still um, because there is, there's just nothing quite like that experience that like you just can't understand unless you've lived through it people can be very empathetic and, and compassionate but actually they just don't quite get the nuance of, of what it's like to have that lived experience so for me finding that support network like joining instagram whatever it is where you're going to build your little network of people like if it's baby loss sans do really good uh, meetups monthly meetups as well so there are loads of good support networks out there so just build your little network of of, of people that are going to get you through it Oh, that's such a powerful tool. Definitely that. I think it comes down to the kind of key theme that you mentioned there is very much protecting yourself, isn't it? 
and actually ensuring that that's the priority, um, which I love. And then on the other foot, Sophie, from, from having experienced, I'm sure, lots of helpful and less helpful um, support through your journey, what would be your top tips for someone who is supporting somebody else, be it friend, family, colleague, who is currently experiencing either infertility or pregnancy loss? Um, I would probably say don't have any expectations of what they are or are not feeling because actually that can be really unpredictable. So, so yeah, don't go in with any preconceived kind of expectations of, of their emotions, just kind of face what they give to you rather than kind of trying to assume how they're feeling. Um, I would also say, don't be afraid to give them some space as well, because if you're, for example, either pregnant or you have a family and you've got a friend who is struggling with that, actually sometimes the most supportive thing that you can do is say like, I'm here, but I understand that this might be challenging. So I'm not going to pester you. Like that can be really nice. Like just acknowledging that the relationship might be more difficult because of the circumstances around you. Like I have said to, um, so when I was pregnant with Cecil and Wilfred and then they died, I had a friend who was due literally like a few days after me. Um, and I said to her, like, I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to take a step back from our relationship because I, I actually can't be around that. Um, and she was super, super understanding. And so that was not like a personal thing against her. I still love her very much, but at that time I, I couldn't, I could just couldn't process that. So I think just letting people have the space that they need. Um, and then one one of my like big, big things that I would always say is if you are telling someone that you are pregnant um, and they are struggling with baby loss or infertility, text them. Do not tell them face to face. Do not tell them over the phone. You must text them um, because it can be really shocking, those sorts of announcements, or sometimes they're not shocking. Sometimes you're just really anticipating it, but you need those moments to kind of maintain your composure or like experience any of the emotions that you're going to feel associated with that. And you don't want to... So if someone sends me a pregnancy announcement like face to face, a whole range of emotions go through your body. And it's not that you're not happy for them, but you're just very sad for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be able to process those emotions in private sometimes before you then say like, congratulations, I'm really pleased for you. And so I would just always say send a send a text message. Um, And then if they want to meet up with you or phone you, that's fine. But you've given them that chance to kind of process, do what they need to do, have a big cry, whatever it is. And then they can then go back to like whatever the relationship needs to be. Yeah, that's a really good practical bit of advice because I'm sure there's lots of people that find that a bit awkward and it's a bit of like an elephant in the room. So actually just being like, this is potentially awkward. Let's talk about it. How should we navigate it? And actually just having that open communication is probably a lot easier for everyone than kind of sort of tiptoeing around it and no one really knows what to do or what to say. And then it becomes a really difficult relationship, I suppose, in the longer term. Yeah, I think... I think people feel like they should tell you face to face because that's like the better thing to do. But actually, it's not. It, it, yeah. it just isn't. Just send a text message. Yeah. And I guess you could even say like, I'm telling you in a text message because, you know, I want you to be able to express your emotions however you want in private and then let me know how you want to navigate this so you don't feel like you're, you know, I don't know, not being transparent. Because sometimes we always feel like big news should be face to face, don't we? In society, you know, you don't dump someone over text. It's kind of like, we've got this thing that big news should be face to face. But actually, like you say, it's really nice to give people that that privacy. And I think I've heard you say before, Sophie, how you can be happy for somebody else 
but also sad in yourself and it's and it's okay to feel those two things yeah definitely like you know if someone announced a pregnancy to me it's not that I'm not happy for that person like great for that person that's brilliant but also it just usually like brings up all those emotions that I can't do that that I'm really rubbish at having a baby that I you know I can't get pregnant I can't stay pregnant someone else can just do that really easily and I can't and so it really makes me feel really bad about myself even though someone else having a baby is unrelated to me having a baby but it doesn't mean that I don't feel all those emotions and actually even now that I have Percy I still feel very I don't I don't like the word triggered but like I feel very emotional sometimes around pregnancy announcements because it can be so easy for other people and it's just so hard for us. Um, so yeah, you can definitely feel those emotions at the same time. And it doesn't make you a bad person if you're not happy when someone tells you that they're pregnant. Like, don't ever feel bad for that either. I've spent like a long time feeling like I'm such a terrible person and I can't be happy for other people. And that's why I can't have a baby because I'm a horrible person. I'm not a good person. I'm not deserving of being a mother. Um, but actually none of that is true. And so that's why it's just so complicated, all of these emotions. But yes, you can be happy for someone else, but deeply sad for yourself. Yeah. And that's where having that community where you know other people will have felt those same conflicting or difficult to understand emotions as you and being able to say, look, today I heard this and I felt X, Y and Z. And you might feel like that's abnormal. And then hundreds of people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I felt that. And I felt that. And then that just takes that weight off, doesn't it? And feeling like someone's, you know, patting you on the back and sort of there with you, essentially. Community is such a powerful tool. And I think in this in this field of women on these journeys, it is, you know, just monumentously important so Sophie thank you so much for creating what you've created if you aren't following Sophie please do head over to her Instagram account the.infertile.midwife and check out her book um, The Infertile Midwife in Search of Motherhood because it is a very brave thing for you to have done Sophie but also I think it'll be really powerful in changing the care that women receive for the better so thank you so much no, thank you for having me. Before you head off, I just need to tell you something. 68% of you who listen to my podcast have not hit the subscribe button. So can you do me a favor? If you have ever enjoyed listening and hit subscribe now, it makes a huge difference and helps me to keep bringing you episodes. The bigger the podcast, the bigger the guests and the more women we can reach and help. Thank you for subscribing and I look forward to chatting again soon.